Oof. Ooh, ah. Uh, that's how it always starts. <laughs> Dear listener, welcome to the Flick Club. Holy fucking shit, it's a dinosaur. Jesus fucking Christ. Oh my fucking God, look a dinosaur. <laughs> Why do I have to always come up with the intros? <laughs> this, this is precisely the one. You are the intro guy. Yeah. You're the intro guy. I'm the I'm the introverted guy. I was just about to say that I'm the introverted guy who is doing the intros. (laughs) What could go wrong? Podcasting um um will find a way though. So (laughs) okay, I'm done with the stupid ideas for the intros. But hello, hello. I'm Garry. If you have never tuned in, studied media. Now I'm working in IT in Poland. We're both movie freaks. My co-host is Henrik, and studies art. And I, I am already pu- putting it out. If the introductory text for for this episode on in our Facebook page is gonna go like the episode 65 years in the making, I'm fucking quitting. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I'm not that lame, am I? Okay. I feel like I'm never ready, Henrik, doing these episodes. Like, for when it comes to Jurassic Park, it's like a, quite of a dinosauric amount of work that you have to do if you want to do everything proper, proper. I mean, I think we should take like six months off and then return with the episode. But hey, that's how it is. We're going to talk a little bit about DNA, I suppose. We're going to go talk about the dinos that feature in the film, filming techniques and all that in our scene by scene, which makes the biggest chunk of our show, which we will move into once we stop this intro stuff. And then we end the show with the what we call the quickies, which end up being the longies, usually, where we discuss the individual parts of the film in detail and what we thought about them. Yeah, because no. that's how quick categories typically work. Well, Henrik, how did you come about seeing this film? When did you first see it? Was it your first time seeing Jurassic Park? No, I originally saw the film when I was something like, I, I, I guess, eight. My mm. dad took me to see the film. God Just damn, dad. Came out, actually. Great dad. Greetings to Henrik's dad. Yeah, the CGI of the times was all, all the rave, and basically everybody was queuing into the theaters just to see how realistic are the most realistic dinosaurs ever. For me, it was a, a little bit of a different story, and I'm so going to get roasted by you for this. Anyway, it goes like this. My uncle went to the video store at the time. He came all excited to my grandmother's place where he was living at the time, and I was temporarily living there at the time, and I was playing video games. My uncle comes to me like, Gary, Gary, I have a great freaking movie here. We have to watch this. We have to watch this. And I'm like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm playing Sonic 3 now. 
And then I just keep <laughs> playing this fourth level of the game with these ping pong things in the sky. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited because I was renting this Sonic 3 and I was so taken by the graphics and wow, what a, what a, what an experience. And, and then he keeps on insisting that we pop this film on. Well, like, let's just try what, let's, let's see what happens. Maybe you like it. I'm like, <sighs> okay. Then we put it on. And we're watching the scene where they're pushing the Velociraptor uh, box into the cage, right? In the beginning of the film. And the people get injured there. And at that point, I'm like, this movie sucks. Put it away. I want to play Sonic 3. And he's visibly so annoyed, so pissed he could kill me at that moment. And yeah, I just continued playing Sonic 3. Not feeling sorry for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I take it that you had never, ever... Before that, heard of the hack director Steven Spielberg. <laughs> uh, it could be that I had seen Indiana Jones, but, you know, I was also at the time like seven, eight. All right. We have something very exciting here uh, besides Steven Spielberg as well. We have Dean Cundy <laughs> returning to the show. I'm not sure if we have touched on Dean Cundy since the Halloween one, Halloween two times. So welcome, Dean Cundy. Glad to have you back. One of the one of the most successful cinematographers in the business, Henrik. What do you know about dinosaurs? Not that much, actually. Same here. I, I was never really like a dino enthusiast, even as a kid. Although I was endlessly fascinated about the you know the history and how they were and how they lived, but I didn't know what was a Brachiosaurus or Dilophosaurus or something like that. In this film, we have one, two, three, four, five, six different dinos. Of course, this expands crazily in the sequels. What do you think about the sequels, Henrik? Let's talk about the sequels a little bit. Did you did any of those tickle your fancy? Uh, not particularly, no. Like I, I, I didn't really feel that there is anything that much to touch upon on, on on the sequels. I I do know that today's episode is a listener request. Yeah. And on that note, the request was for for the Jurassic Park movies, in plural, meaning that the rest of the franchise, I, I guess, is expected from us also. So, and on that regard, if, if you are going to stay stay true to that request, we I, I guess we have to go through the sequels at some point, but the sequels all together are kind of... Eh, like, even, even Spielberg himself couldn't completely return to return to his roots or, or return to what how magnificent film the original Jurassic Park was. The Lost World Jurassic Park was, in my opinion, very much the lackluster product. The third one maybe is better than its reputation. And then the yeah, the Jurassic World films are in my opinion, kind of a sleepwalking experience. Uh, something like that. Uh, it's exactly like you said, that even Steven Spielberg couldn't be quite on form for The Lost World. It's definitely, I would say, the best out of the all of the sequels, but it falls pretty quickly for these ham-fisted ideas on how to put the characters back into the locations of Isla Sorna or these different islands. And... It just looks like exactly ham-fisted. For example, the appearance of the 
of the child of Ian Malcolm, is it? This black child that appears in the island. Yeah, yeah, the daughter character. And also, uh, I guess his own of girlfriend or whatever it was that, that Julianne Moore was supposed to be in the film. And in the third one, it is again a very ham-fisted idea to get Sam Neill back to the island in the third one. Basically risking his life all over again. I, I always felt that the third film is kind of the most honest uh, of the sequels. Like, at, at least say, say what you will about the, about the third one. It, in, in many regards, it is kind of a B-movie trash. The film, mm. it, film in general, but the film itself, in my opinion, kind of acknowledges this. And it is honest about about the fact that it's it's B movie and it's not on par with with the original. Uh, Lost World and and the Jurassic World films, they they all I, I, I see them as movies that all, all have this misconception that they are true sequels and they are on the same level as the fir- first Jurassic Park. And that I kind of feel is is a misstep from the sequels since they can't achieve that level of quality. And something that is, in my opinion, really interesting in Jurassic Park films, the first of the Jurassic World films, where they, the closing notion of, of this movie movies ending the T-Rex coming in and sa- saving saving the heroes at the nick mm. of time from the face of peril that's kind of a that that is like that is one of the, the key scenes that is recycled from from one film to the next that there is a T-Rex to the rescue scene in in Jurassic Park 3 where it's where it looks like kind of a like they, they just ran out of ideas so that happens there. And then in Jurassic World, there is some, I guess it's some kind of a misconceived idea of playing tribute to the original Jurassic Park, where they also, you know, recycle the whole plot point. And well, once again, once again, it's it's the final conflict of the film, the final peril that the heroes face in Jurassic World is once again solved by magically appearing the T-Rex. What I liked about uh, Jurassic Park 3 is that it it covers all the key elements that were not used before from the original Michael Crichton book. So there's a lot of scenes that uh, they were finding in the original source material and I think at that point it was kind of exhausted at least on the part of the first novel Jurassic Park. Then there's of course The Lost World, the continuation for that. Yeah, it's kind of the case that that if if you kind of take all, all the all, all the first three Jurassic Park films, then then you get kind of a manhandedly all all the scenes and plot elements from the first book. We can talk more in detail about the sequels in the sequel episodes if we ever decide to do them. I was not prepared to do any sequel episodes because well, we could as well. It's funny how we have started to to cover a lot of movies that are part of some huge, huge franchises like Terminator, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, and so many more. It's almost like you have a problem, man. 
Or it's almost like we, we are looking into films that are super popular and we are respecting the listeners' wishes. So here it goes again. <laughs> but uh, anything to add before scene by scene? No, let's, uh, let's just head straight into the movie. Okay, so the film and at the same time also Steven Spielberg's weird lens flare fetish, which is really in your face throughout the movie, op- opens with the first, oh, is, is this like second or third Vel- Velociraptor? Anyways, with, with Velociraptor coming to the park and the first kind of accident that they have when it, com- when it comes to the park and, and, the, and the safety, basically they bring up the crate that holds one of the Velocir- Velociraptors in it and the things go I- I- immediately haywire. Like they, are open, they open the crate and the Velociraptor goes wild. Knocking the crate, the crate back, and knocking the guy holding the container door open out of his balance, and the dude becomes dinosaur show immediately. And that's kind of a first notion that the film gives you when it comes to the whole notion how Hammond never spared any expense when it came to designing <laughs> and building his park. Because I, I kind of always was wondering. Was there really no any any at all better and more safer way to actually bring the dinosaurs into the park than than use the ring dingy containers or or the, or the steel crates which you can't even lock in your place before you start opening them? Best structural engineers in the world, right there. Yeah, yeah. Who can't even operate a goddamn forklift, which they obviously have to to bring, you know, to to bring the crate or, or the container inside the park premises before starting to o- o- open it. It also kind of begs the question: How in the nine hells did they ever manage to get the the last larger specimens, like for example the goddamn T Rex, into the park? <laughs> because the, the the fucking the, the the whole gateway or, or or the doorway which they use here on this docking bay is actually smaller than the actual T Rex. So what what size of a crate did they use for T Rex? How many guys were needed to actually open the door on that crate? How come T Rex did not just you know burst through the gateway here? Okay. In the original source material in the book, it says that uh, the dinosaurs, at least some of them, do grow up into full size in two to four years or something like that. Uh, that and that started to make me wonder that it was probably made so that they were first like baby size when they were pushed into the park and just kept growing there for several years during the development of new dino DNA and uh, construction of the park. Yeah, and and in in the film's defense, the the main kind of a wildlife expert that they have, Mudon, who is the the experienced hunter of the group, he does make the notion that that the animals inside the park reach maturity or or they keep growing until for eight months. Kind of also lending some weight to the notion that that they are brought into the park as babies. But once again, 
I I do ask you to pay close eye on the Velociraptor that they now have gauged in the in the opening of the film because by jolly that that specimen actually does look like awfully lot like an like an adult Velociraptor that we later on see in the film. Like it looks to mm. be ex- the exact same size as they are for the rest of the movie when they are supposed to be I I guess adults. Yeah. Or at least fully grown, which once again kind of gives you the the implication that they are bringing fully grown dinosaurs from the from the site B to do now the park premises. But I don't think it was mentioned any anywhere that these are babies here, right? I I'm well no no not 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 specifically like there there is kind of a there is a notion made. Uh, I don't. Re- I don't remember. Was it Grant or Sattler who asks Moodon how long do they grow? How long do do the dinosaurs grow? And Moodon makes the remark that it's, if I remember correctly, makes the remark that it's eight eight months. But yeah. like you like you said, it's it's he doesn't outright state where they do the growing like where and doesn't make the make a statement regarding on how old the dinosaurs are when they are being brought into into the Jurassic Park premises and the beginning of the book is completely different than in the film it starts off with roughly let's say maybe 50 pages of kind of an introductory part where actually a family goes to a beach for lunch which is kind of the beginning of the Lost World, where they used that part of the material. Kind of, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Then again, the second chapter of the book, which has has the injured park worker being brought into the, the ER, and, and the doctor is kind of try, trying to study the study the wounds and makes the remark that this this looks like like. That that she can't actually make the connection. What kind of animal would have caused these wounds? And there is the shady park worker who who tries to spin the story that it was some kind of a was it a machine machinery accident? Yeah, there is some some uh, is it like a claim that the guy has maybe fallen from great heights? Anyway, something that is not made by an animal at all. Yeah, that that's that's basically that's a scene that doesn't happen. In any of the Jurassic Park films, yeah, that's true, and I quite like that opening. Uh, anyway, there is also this girl who gets bitten, and then it turns out that there are several cases of small, like infants and little people, little girls and boys getting bitten by the same kind of an animal, which turns out to be a dinosaur. One of these, what they call uh, Comptes, I believe. And there is this one woman working at the clinic who makes the observation that this looks like a sketch of a dinosaur that the girl had drawn up from the incident. And then it cuts to Alan Grant and Ellie having a guest, Bob Morris from the EPA, to their excavation site in at Snakewater. So this is something similar that is in the film. But there's a lot of small and then not so small differences throughout the film. But I think the core of the book is very much in the film. There are some different people who die, some people don't die. And uh, in the case of this scene at the excavation site, 
John Hammond doesn't visit himself this place at, at this moment. He simply gives a phone call and then coaxes Ellie and uh, Jesus, not Jesus, but Sam Neil to come to the lo- location of the island. Yeah, the most maybe the most notable difference between the book and the film is 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 all the characters and the character traits, which for the most part in appears to have been changed for the film. And at at some t- points, the the character arcs that are given to the the characters of the film, I I, I don't actually know why the changes were made. Like in the, in the book, Kant is very open to kids. And kind of even admires that kids can be as fascinated about dinosaurs as he is. Yeah. Contrast that to the Grant in film, where Grant can't stand kids, and his emotional story arc kind of comes down to the grumpy, pro, uh, grumpy researcher becoming open to children. And and yeah. hinting to the possibility that that after the credits roll, maybe he and Ellie, who are not a pair in the book, right, but, but are simply colleagues. Well, in the film's universe, there, it's been hinted that maybe they will later on start a family and have have children of their own. Now that Grant has softened up to kids, and that that. I, I kind of felt, felt was maybe kind of a baffling change when it came to, to character motives. Okay, for me this uh, stood out as a, a kind of an excellent decision in the film to change it up like that. Like I, I don't know, I, 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 I just saw it as a cliche. Or maybe a cliche, but it, like you said, it does give a story arc. So it, it gives it, Grant it, it a little does... bit more, you know, something to develop during the film. Um, my my take was that it simply gave Grant more 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 your typical Steven Spielberg flavor. Mm. Like Spielberg is very much about about home, about family, and the family unit. And he at times is that even with even at the expense of of the kind of a more pragmatic scientist, deep thought character arcs and that's kind of a, something that i felt that were, were were the book and more so maybe maybe the the sequel book lost word differs from from the from the film that the the way how in the books the characters are more more kind of a logic and science driven and they more are, are simply friends because of science, and they have more just dedicated their lives to science. And in 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 the films, it becomes more and more about once again a romantic connection and the family unit and forming a family. It kind of does tie grants. I I have to grow to respect kids. It it does partly tie in with the movie's theme with the dinosaurs and the, also the dinosaurs finding a way to change them themselves to to for also form family units and you can it kind of a parallels also how Grant emotionally changes through in the in the course of the film and maybe later on forms a family unit so there there is kind of a thematical connection. 
But I I still I I wasn't wild about the film grants story arc. Well, it's kind of some things I really prefer from the book and then some things I really prefer from the film. Uh, something that I really strongly felt that wasn't fitting for maybe the majesticity or the mysticity of of T-Rex was what happened in the book. Okay, granted, I understand it was happening during nighttime when they found this little boat and they started to stroll around the island to find the reception again. Okay, but the T-Rex goes swimming in the waters during this scene. And I thought this would not translate well in the film. Yeah, that that maybe was a scene that I also wasn't missing when I watched yeah. the film. Okay, what was the next scene? I believe it's... Uh... I, I I guess that would be the introductory of the asshole lawyer that we have. Ah. Yeah, the, the really fucking weird, really fucking weird amber dicking operation that is going on, which I also never managed to understand when when I originally saw the film. Like, once again, uh, staying true to the character differences between the film and the book, the lawyer cra- character of, of of the story, uh, Gennaro, who presents the the investors investors in Hammond's Park, who now have become worried because due to the accidents that have happened around the park, and have asked Gennaro to kind of evaluate or organize an evaluation of the safety of the park. In in the film, Gennaro is completely greed-driven shitbag who leaves kids to be eaten by T-Rexes and in the end dies, dies somewhat comedically. That's, once again, that's a huge difference to that Gennaro that we have in the book where he actually is, is still, still greedy, granted, but he is also at times rather heroic and considerate, and actually even takes part in, in some of the rescue attempts, and attempts to contain the situation in the park and stop the crisis. Whereas, for example, the character of Hammond in the book is not actually the sweet little grandfather that we see in the film. He's more like business-oriented. He just wants whatever happens, he wants this park to happen, which is kind of, to a degree also happening here and in the lost world you can argue that but but i feel that this this hammond in the film cares about his grandchildren at least way more in in the book hammond is kind of denying that anything is 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 wrong even after the dinosaurs have broken out and his grandkids are missing and Hammond is basically all about denying any responsibility and denying any fault in, in the park concept. Whereas in, in the film, Hammond is kind of a more this overly visionary, but still co- good-hearted uh, entertainer who is, is all about showing the opening and showing this miracle to to basically everyone, because in here Hammond also makes the notion that Jurassic Park is and never was meant for only the super rich, but it's for yeah. absolutely everybody to enjoy. But with with Gennaro's introduction here, then another thing that always have 
have bugged my mind. And this, this is a major plot point for the film. Is, is the whole amber digging operation and the whole mosquito thing, which the film now introduces to you. Yeah, well, it's the backbone of the book and the film. It, it is it is backbone of the book uh, of the book and the film. But but here's the gist. First of all, it you you could kind of a question if the blood inside the mosquito really would have fossilized the way that you could actually still use it to to clone clone your goddamn dinosaurs. But more than that, it does kind of beg the question that exactly how many mosquitoes are there in the end? Because the the way how the film actually frames the whole mosquito thing and through and uses the cinematic language, it does highlight this one mosquito that they are now digging up. And even though I don't guess that's the case in the film, but but the the way how how the scene is framed, how, the way how the kind of the film language works, it's it heavily implies that the mosquito they that they now find it's the same goddamn mosquito that Hammond later on has on the end of his stick. And that would, I guess, be the mosquito that they also use for cloning. Like, technically it can't be, because this is very late into the proceedings. The cloning operation has already been been done. The din- dinosaurs are already, de- already ready. And the park is already being built. So time yeah. frame wise, they have they have, have had to find some mosquitoes somewhere where they have been able to get the get the dinosaur DNA. But once again, the film language kind of frames the whole situation differently. How I logically justified this was that, yeah, I understood that the park was already made because it must have been made already at this point. So it's uh, during the same time cycle as the rest of the film. But maybe these mosquitoes that they find inside the amber are they are not in very big supply, so they have now found one. They are moderately excited about it, but it's not something that is now happening for the first time or anything like that. Yeah, but if they are not in big supply, then you kind of have to ask, how the fuck did they find all the mosquitoes? Because kind of from one mosquito, you if the blood really has fossilized in a way that you can actually reuse it, 65 million years later. Well, even with the, in that case, the, kind of a one mosquito could give you one dinosaur DNA strain. So from one mosquito, they could get something like, I don't know, T-Rex or Velociraptor or, or you name it. But the park mm-hmm. has several different dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. So how many mosquitoes have they found or... Or have they just found just one mosquito that managed to bite every single marketable dinosaur? Yeah, this is just more interesting cinematically to show it in this way. What it shows in the book is that it appears that InGen is one of the, if not the biggest buyer of of amber in the world. So I just picture in my mind that some kind of a huge, huge storage room there where there's tons of amber and then there's somebody like... Dr. Wu, who is going through those for four or five years and every now and then finding some bits and pieces of DNA and, and 
connecting it with some random DNA and getting actually some results, which of course doesn't happen in real life. Also to add to the preservation of the DNA, it appears that the DNA at the best case scenarios can, if properly stored, survive for maybe one, maybe two million years, but 65 million years is a little bit stretching it. Yeah, yeah, but, but in general, with its storage space, filled with millions of tons of amber. Like amber digging, let, let me tell you, tell everyone who is listening, amber digging is the growth industry of tomorrow. Like there, there's billions to be done in um, amber mining. <laughs> and this scene, it, it reminds me of Indiana Jones films. Well, they go to the top. It does, it does. <laughs> I think it's uh, John Williams plus that they go into the cave and then you have this piece of amber that actually, when you start to think about it, the color is very similar to the statue that you see in the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's just the connection that I make there. Yeah, uh, also there is, once again, a lot of the same cine- cinematography. Yeah. In in, in way how how the scene's main character picks up something that's really important. Everybody gathers around the important object and the camera slowly zooms in into an extreme close-up of the important object. Also, partly, I would say, even even the dick leader's clothing is, is kind of a reminiscent of, of Indiana Jones films. Like, like not, not mm. one-to-one, but there, there's also the the plain white shirt and and the gra- kind of a graphy appear that he has and, and the j- jungle oh, oh. in general and Steven yeah, Spielberg yeah yeah jungle in general so I I too I I saw a lot of Indiana Jones in in the Amber League but then we get to the excavation right then we get to the excavation yeah it, it goes more or less like it is in the source material. But here everything is made more quicker and, of course, Hammond comes himself to the location with the helicopter and ruins up the whole excavation of Velociraptor's remains. And we learn that uh, Mr. Grant, Dr. Grant, doesn't very much like computers. I can relate to that even nowadays. As, as, as well as who he also hates, with, with a passion, to a point where he is actually willing to, to threaten and... I, I guess traumatize one kid by showing him something that the kid would never actually believe he would would see in a dig site that that uncovers dinosaur bones and that I'm is sorry, a dinosaur bone. But the the performance of the kid never never convinced me. He first shows this very surprised face, which just doesn't seem natural for me, and then it continues with less dramatic faces and. Ah, uh, it just doesn't work yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kid tries to act act scared, but all, all he looks like is is disinterested. <laughs> now, why would you be scared of something that every anyway died sixty five million years ago? Yeah, kinda, kinda. Yeah, I mean the only situation where you would have to be scared of something like that would be if if the weird, crazy rich man. <laughs> Would come come on with his personal helicopter to take you on on his fantasy island where he has been cloning those dinosaurs. Exactly. Should have taken that kid on board. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Yeah, they, they could have used, that, used him as a distraction for the Velociraptors. <laughs> I pay attention to weird things, I guess, but, well, it's not the first time in this podcast. Uh, Hammond, he's supposed to be somebody from England, I suppose, because he uses some of these British pronunciations and he actually corrects himself, at least on two occasions. Here it's when he says schedule instead of schedule, which is the American pronunciation. He, he does that. And then later in the film, he says merry-go-round and, oh, sorry, carousel. That's funny. Uh, I never picked up on that. Yeah, yeah. But he is 100% right on the notion that babies do smell. So kudos for that. Yeah, babies smell. And some, something that which is, is kind of interesting on the dick side scene and this was also a huge fucking thing behind behind the scenes of the film it is the notion which is being raised here that which is that the dinosaurs were more close to the birds than the, than they were uh, reptiles mm-hmm. which but we which is kind of a funny since in in the scene where it, where, where the notion is made everybody is is kind of laughing at Kant and and thinking that that the dude simply can't be be right and well then you come into you know today and what do you know that the science collective <laughs> is kind of a unified in the vision that yeah dinosaurs really were more, more closer to birds than lizards and this this also was a big deal behind the scenes of the film where they actually were consulting a world famous dinosaur expert who also went toe-to-toe with, with, the, with the production crew and with the visual effects crew to preserve the, the notion that the, the dinosaurs in the film should act and in, in subtle ways appear to be more bird-like than actually lizard-like. Regardless of having a world-famous paleontologists they couldn't get the feathers for the velociraptors but during the time it wasn't such of a common knowledge so then we have the character of nedry who is the evil person who somehow has been so integral for the operations of jurassic park that he is the only person who at the end of the day can restart the systems you know keep the basic functions running in case of any kinds of incidents and is apparently also able to add some malicious code there, and which is something that they can't easily remove from the code if he decides to do that. So this was also, for me, a kind of a big plot hole. Like, what kind of a... You have world-famous this, world-famous that, building the park and the world's best uh, structural engineers, but then you have one computer guy sitting on his desk doing the daka 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 and he's the only person who can actually run this thing. Yeah, he he he's the sole dude who who is responsible for the automation automation of the entire goddamn part. Yep. Like one dude who and the notion is never raised that 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 nerdry would would have been some kind of a super hacker or any any kind of a world famous system engineer. In 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 fact, in in the film. Between uh, through the through the dialogue in exchanges between Nutri and and Hammond and how basically everybody else 
in the park staff seems to record naturally it, it kind of comes off like Nedry even isn't that great in in system automation or and like he would have actually somehow fucked things up previously in in some small capacity so he he wouldn't even be that great in his job and still he's the sole guy whose responsibility the whole basically the whole operation of the entirely automated park is yeah so much for the fanciness yeah spared no expense (laughs) (laughs) we had only one coder to do the entire thing in the book it also expands a little bit that they have that Nedry would have had actually a lawsuit against John Hammond and then he would have basically lost the lawsuit and he had to return to his desk and tension is high. And more or less it's the same thing here. Tensions are high, nobody likes Nedry, poor Nedry, and he decides to give some specimens of the dinosaurs for a competing company. Which I believe is not really explained in the film, that there's some other company behind it. It's just some some dude who wants to have these samples. No, no, the the other company is kind of a hinted at. Like you, 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 you get the character of of Doxon. Yep. And well, he he's he's more prominent character in 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 the sequel book, but but makes makes the first appearance here. And through Doxon, you kind of get the the implication that there's another company that is also interested on the on the dinosaur embryos, which is what they now hire Nedry to steal for them. Yeah. But that, that that's basically, that's that's all you get about anything relating to the other company. And that's also kind of the, the all, all that you get when it comes to Nedry. Like, n- basically, nothing of Nedry that was in the book has been saved, is saved, in the film. In, in the film, Nedry is just a slimy, fat nerd who simply decides to, you know, throw away his job and, and steal the embryos for one and a half million dollars. Even though you would think that that wouldn't be such a great offer to be make, to make in, in this situation, because not only would Nedry lose his job, but most likely he would also merit a lawsuit for his actions in the film later on. Right. Like, it would be probably pretty easy to track down who was gathering the samples there that night. In the book, they even notice it, that it somebody has been in the lab, and it's most likely Nedry. What's the next stuff? I guess that's the first introduction of our dinosaurs. A huge fucking CGI effects that filled the screen and basically made everybody's jaws drop wide open when, when the film originally came out. Like, this is the state-of-the-art stuff. And it has actually held together pretty well, even today. Yeah, it holds up pretty well, pretty well. Yeah, the, the brachiosaurus that you see here, the... The Velociraptors, most definitely the goddamn T-Rex. They they all yeah. are still in pretty good shape, especially when you take into the notion that how old the film is. And even then, you're you're watching this on Blu-ray and you look at the T-Rex from different angles, and you really can't always 
quite tell if it's now the animatronics or is it the CGI. And of course, what contributes to that great effect is that also for dramatic purposes, but I would say also for because of due to the technology at the time, they had to kind of conceal the T-Rex a little bit, keep it in the shadow. But that's that's how you do with your villains anyway. So it doesn't matter. They keep him in the shadow. Uh, he's lurking on the different sides of the car and it, there's rain coming on to kind of conceal yeah. it. But it, it, it works beautifully. Yeah, I, I, I would say that it's a combination of two things. That really work well, well in the for, for for the effects of the film to actually holding their age. So the first one is the way how Spielberg kind of shoots and frames his images yeah. in in the film. He, he uses a lot of small elements, but individual elements to actually showcase you the mass and the size of of the animals. Like he he gives you one jeep against a dinosaur, uh, or he gives you three characters standing kind of far removed from the dinosaur, and and all these kind of feed you the Im- implication that these really are massive animals. Contrast that, for example, some of the later Jurassic Park sequels, which have like like from three to five cars next to a dinosaur. And also a building, yeah. and also close-ups on on the human characters, which all kind of a muddy the water. They they give you more more pointers on exactly what is the actual size of the dinosaur, and the extreme close-ups. They they kind of a they they make the they even make the human characters appear bigger, making and in contrast, making the dinosaurs, which are supposed to be huge fucking things, appear smaller than they are supposed to be. So that that that's the first thing. And the second, like you mentioned, is is the clever use of of animatronics and the CGI and some of the clever, more clever sequences where they switch from the animatronic to the CGI, which. Uh, something where we get a real great a example on on the nighttime T-Rex attack scene. Yeah, this is a graceful interpretation. This is also the first time that we see something like this dinosaurs on film, at least in the level of what this type of effects, this level of effects. So it will automatically give this uh, special meaning and it shows i think in the performances and how the music goes it's the first time experience but the lost world is basically the aliens of the jurassic park series there's more violence more villains more of the monsters and it's starting to be like this this box like this infestation of creatures against humans and their guns no, it's not anymore that kind of a personal relationship that you have in the first one with T-Rex. Yeah, in, in Lost World you even have a, what, what kind of is a military squadron stacked against the creatures. Yeah. And even more so in, in Jurassic World, which, which has an actual military squadron stacked against the dinosaurs. Funny also seeing how many people have died in the beginning of the film and they 
Costa Rican government basically not caring about any of that. Well, then the Injun did a hell of a lot of work to make it appear so that these were not any kind of suspicious genetically modified or other interesting creatures that we should maybe look into responsible for these attacks. But then again, at the end of the book, you know, well, I guess we're going to go full spoiler here. So just for your information, I'm going to spoil the book as well. But at the end of the book, the Costa Rican government will bomb the shit out of the Isla Sorna. So that's when they take the action. All right. Then they take the little laboratory ride and they watch the Mr. DNA video where it's very clearly explained that that this is how you make dinosaurs. You get 65 million year old DNA from a mosquito and then you combine that DNA with the frog DNA or some other DNA. In the film it's only mentioned as frog DNA that is used as the replacement for the missing blocks in the DNA chain. After this they go to the lab. I just gotta wonder, you know, Henrik, there's two kids in this film, in the lab. I don't think they have signed any non-disclosure agreements. And if they have, I don't think that would really work. Just saying. Yeah, but then again, they, they are Hammond's grandkids, so... Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 the movie doesn't even tell you where the, where the kids live. Like all, all we know, they may actually be held as captives in the park premises by Hammond. <laughs> But they, yeah, the the whole DNA clonage thing, which is now given to you, kudos to the film. The notion has to be made that the film is extremely vague, vague in in any explanation on how the how the cloning works, like how how much frog DNA they use, how much they got from the mosquito, what what DNA engineering they are actually doing. None of that is ever explained. Which kind of helps the film to survive through this this yeah. uh, to su- survive through this notion because using the frog DNA and this was actually something that the scientific community was interested in researching into following the release of the film. But essentially, dinosaurs and the frogs, when it comes to DNA scale, they are kind of a far removed from each other to a point where well, once again this is something where you can't be 100% certain because the film is really vague in vague in, explana- in explaining the, the cloning process. But Are you saying that you didn't become a molecular scientist to speak on this podcast episode? I, I, I consulted an actual biologist mm. to, to ask how this would go. And, and oh. the, the take was that, well, that really shouldn't be possible. Like, at, at least not outright. At least not in, in grand scale. Or, or you could, can't simply take, you know, some dinosaur blood and then take the frog DNA and just, you know, combine the two and boom, have a dinosaur. Maybe, maybe some DNA alteration could be done. Maybe some corrections could be done. But you couldn't outright clone a dinosaur using a frog DNA. But like mentioned, this is once again, this is something that the film never dives that deep into. And because of that, it's hard to outright debunk it. Like you can't say that that the 
that the notion that the film makes is is 100% bullshit and it would never work in any capacity because the film never actually really explains to you what the fuck they are doing. Yeah, because the other option would have probably been how to do this film would have been to that the characters would have been in this auditorium watching the DNA video and then Grant would approach Hammond a little bit closer and then be like pst, pst, Hammond like so how does this actual actually work like how does the molecular blueprint become something of a T-Rex variety when you're combining it with the frog DNA and how do the amino acids and proteins and blah 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 do this thing and what what are you actually doing in the lab are you combining this ATZ different kinds of genes together how, how does it work and then Hammond would just go like um and then it would cut to the credits <laughs> But, but kudos for Hammond for creating the whole video presentation, which is completely dependable on him being present when the video is played out and reading his own lines. <laughs> yeah. Because if, if Hammond, and, and that kind of a ties Hammond down to, with, with his own presentation, Hammond has to be present in every single screening of that video or, or the, the whole video I, I'm I'm here talking back to the video me. Gist of it would completely fall apart. So in in an in that sense, Hammond has just spent billions of dollars and the latest in high tech just to become a customer service worker. <laughs> because I, I guess working at McDonald's just wouldn't have been sparing the expense. This is what I could not also understand. Like. Is he really prepared to be there for every goddamn tourist group? Admittedly, maybe very rich tourist people in the beginning, but still. Well, it, it looks like that. <laughs> it, it, it does really look like that. Granted, the park isn't completely ready. Hammond makes the notion about this himself also. He right. makes the notion that there's going to be more rides and they are going to to make change, for example, the soundtrack, which is supposed to play in the background of the presentation. Right. They have still ample time to clone John Hammond for the show. <laughs> yeah. They, they take they take a sip of Hammond's blood and then, then fuse it with frog DNA. <laughs> Henrik, look, it's an interactive CD-ROM. There are some lines that just get so dated. The, the latest in technology, my God. Oh, yeah, it was hot stuff back then. And... Yeah, yeah, and, and even even back then, then the interactive CD-ROMs worked like shit. Especially if it's going to be something like it's going to be switching these CDs inside the car, and then, you know, what could go wrong? <clears throat> okay. Well, Hammond did spare no expense. Oh, right, right, right. I keep forgetting that. Some reason. <laughs> well, 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 lucky you. Hammond keeps reminding you. <laughs> Actually, when it comes to this legendary line, uh, it's uttered by somebody else, some of the uh, some other worker at the park. It's not said by John Hammond in the book. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it even repeat, repeats, but the movie makes it a repeating line. Yeah, it, it kind of makes it Hammond's catchphrase. Yeah. Good job. Uh, I like that. And yeah, they start the car ride 
see here we see the Grant's character not digging chi children at all. Uh, puts Tim in the other car, who keeps talking behind the glass for some reason. And then they start the tour. Well, they pass through a lot of these pens, fences, where they're supposed to hold dinosaurs, but they don't really see any. Okay, so the whole structuring of the tour, it goes in completely different order, pretty much, in the book. Well, in the book, they see a lot of dinosaurs, but many of them are standing still, so they don't really get the proper experience that they're looking for. And Lex is getting bored out of her mind. And they see Tyrannosaurus Rex, and then they continue doing something else in, in the park. Is it that they're going to go on the side and look at this this injured or the, the sick dinosaurs, which is a different kind of dinosaurs in the book, but they do that anyway. And then they return somewhere along the lines back to the Tyrannosaurus Rex. So the, the movie, I feel, manages to do the whole dramatic build-up way better here, in a way, because it's much more effective when you see the T-Rex for the first time when he's starting to do his menacing. And in, in the yeah. book, it's kind of, it's it's giving you dinos, and then it's giving you the best dino, and then it goes to lesser less interesting dino, and then back to the main dino, T-Rex. Yeah, the, the film does build, build up the T-Rex pretty well. The, another par, part which I felt it didn't play up that well, well it, it was, the, was the storm, which is now approaching the island. This is, this is something that is mostly touch upon between the, I, I guess, pre-recorded video conversation that Dirty has with the boat captain. <laughs> Like I, 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 I had no fucking clue what that was supposed to be. Like it, 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 it plays out like it, it's, a, I, I guess, a video call, like, yeah. like, <laughs> like a Skype call. Even though it doesn't look like they actually have the technology to make make a Skype call. Well, it looks and, like somehow, yeah, somehow Nedry has some access to some security camera, and some for some reason it's extremely important to see the guy there on the phone booth. Yeah, yeah, and and what may, what makes the scenes even more worse is is the fact that you can actually see that it's it's pre-recorded video, which is simply playing in in video Windows Media Player. Like like they couldn't spare the expense to to crop the image so so that you you wouldn't see see the time passing bar at the lower end of the of the player. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't notice it this time around, but uh, I remember this. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That that that's the magic of interactive CD-ROMs for you. <laughs> but <laughs> but let's talk about um, the character of Malcolm. I I really love the character of Malcolm, which is basically the character of Jeff Goldblum, and he's like the comedic relief of the film. He has a lot of great jokes in the car. And outside of the car, also to a lesser extent, Grant with Jeff Goldblum. I, I guess I just really love this guy. Anywhere he appears, great guy. Yeah, uh, the character of Malcolm is is a great character. Uh, Jeff Goldblum makes a good work playing the character. So, something that maybe hurts hurts the performance a bit in in retrospect is the fact that. After Jurassic Park, Jeff Goldblum kind of fell in love with the with, with this pro portrayal of character, and he simply just kind of did the same. Um, uh, mm, uh, 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 
thing in in something like for the next 10 to 15 years <laughs> and it, it came really goddamn irritating long. okay gold bloom has has dropped this one later on like oh. he he hit the low peak of of his career where he just appeared in some no face movies he's now resurfacing back into the aa game in, in hollywood wise and apparently the whole um, um, uh, uh, stitch has been dropped. Thank God for that. But <laughs> okay. th- th- there was there was a time when I really really couldn't stand Jeff Goldblum. Understood. In the book, he was not such of a comedic character. Here, it's amped up. Yeah, he he was even more a scientist in in the book. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I I like the fact that the character in the film is this kind of a playful f- funny humorous character but also uh, i think he knows his mathem- mathematics pretty well uh, combines yeah. kind of a breaks maybe the illusion or what we think of as a mathematician usually yeah th- that he does he he's like hammond remarks in in the film he is kind of a rock star scientist right rock star scientist and that is that is something that is actually is quite nice to see i i do like the fact that the scientists in in the film they are they are not you know these these scruffy hang up old, old guys who who can't relax and can't improvise can't do fucking anything and simply are like science bubble science bubble science bubble in the most monotone voice you can depict i i'm i'm glad that the film gives you the the other scientists, the more more energetic, the more kind of a kind of a more freestyling scientists. So Nedry is now cutting off the electricity around the island so that he can go to the boat to meet uh, the Hoxon Doxon. Meet meet the captain at least. Like, like you never actually know who he is supposed to meet on the boat. Nedry makes the, the, the notion that Hoxton's guys better be at the boat when he arrives because the timetable is so small. Who, who that guy is, never mentioned, never shown. And it's supposed to be according to the book that Nedry has very meticulously planned this whole thing out and he's supposed to know where he's going. And in the film he has absolutely no clue where he's going. <laughs> no, no, in, in, in the Film, he is kind of a the comic buffoon yeah. who who even 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 has the overtly comic comedical sound effect playing as he as he slips and falls. <laughs> like like Nedry in the film is pretty much a joke. Yeah, I I I still have like a problems understanding what the hell he's doing because he drives the car basically off this road. And then he starts to cable the car, and so he's going to pull the car to the lower level. And then what? He's in the forest. What? Yeah. I have no yeah, idea what's yeah. going on there. Yeah, Nedry behind the wheel is. <laughs> you 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 kind of can't understand what the what the guy is actually trying to achieve here. Well, it's definitely something that you can't do in six minutes. Or what was the original plan for him? It, it, it the the original time frame was eighteen minutes. Okay, in the book I believe it's six minutes only. <laughs> okay, 
well, well, whatever the the fuck it it is, yeah. like Netflix timetable is so tight that I I actually I'm I'm actually curious to see would it would it Netflix be able to actually hold it to to keep it to keep his own timetable even if the things hadn't gone completely to shit because he he has to make it to the to the embryo storage area. He has to steal the embryos. He has to escape the the main main building. He has to pass through the 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 fences, the electronic electronic fences, which granted have been turned off. But he he has to step out of his car, push the fence door doors open, get back into his car, and continue his journey. After that, he still has to reach the boat. Which right. is stationed somewhere in the island. So even 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 if Nedry hadn't hadn't somehow grasped off the road, that the timetable still would have been pretty damn tight, like extremely so. Yeah, I kept wondering what what is maybe it would have been interesting plot wise to actually allow Nedry to get to the boat and maybe even deliver the samples to the guy and then see him coming back to the office. Or maybe not succeed delivering those samples, but get back to the office and then see the consequences of what would happen to his character when they would find out these nefarious things about him. Yup. Not not to mention the fact that since Nedry now escapes, or the plan is that Nedry escapes the island, that immediately pinpoints Nedry as the culprit to everyone. Yeah. Who who managed to notice that that something is wrong because it it like it's it's the most simplest kind of a logical equation you have to make. Everything goes to shit. One dude mysteriously disappears. Well, who did do do? Who could be possibly be the culprit here? So yeah. basically, Nedry physically escaping the island is is just Nedry physically pinpointing himself out. As the one who 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 is at fault, he would do that in any scenario. Had it had he returned to the office, had he left the island right at that minute, had I been Nedry, I would have probably just taken the boat right there and just try to keep low profile. I mean, disappear. Had I been Nedry, I would have just swimmed out of the island. Ooh, sharks maybe. Well, still still a better plan than the what the dude actually had. <laughs> Henrik, where's the goat? I don't know. The fucking ninja Terex managed to snack it without absolutely anyone noticing. And it's supposed to be a massive fucking beast that that causes a vibration effect on on any water surface and makes this this incredibly loud noises as he wanders around. And the goat is coming from cellars, right? Pops up yeah. with an yeah, elevator. Yeah. They, I, I guess they are all kind of raising him from right? below the ground to the feeding area. Have you ever thought about like the mechanics which go to delivering the goats to the T-Rex? Is there is there like some kind of a train track? You put the goat <laughs> on the train and then push it to the T-Rex location, and then there's like huge line of these goats just waiting to be snatched by T-Rex, given a specific hour of the day. Yeah, uh, and, and as you're feeding the T-Rex, you just have to hope that T- 
today is the day when T-Rex is going to play it nice and, and make a loud entrance and show himself to the audiences in instead of him being being a full stealth ninja operative and simply, you know, quickly snacking the goat without anyone noticing. Uh, snacking the goat with such of a noise in his jawbones and eating that goat that it overruns all the other audio tracks in the film. Huge yep. noise. Yep, yep. But that's the T-Rex of, of the Jurassic Park for ya. Like, at, at, at times it makes incredibly loud noises. Yep. And, and and then on the on, on the next moment, it's it's the it's the most silent motherfucker you ever met. Right. So the only way logically, I guess, here is that T Rex had been sleeping next to them all along, <laughs> and I suppose in a standing position, how it's described in the book, just you know hibernating there, and then suddenly like, oh hello, it's time to get rid of this pesky fence. I I I always took it that the T Rex simply was simply teleporting all over the all <laughs> Oh my God! Give the, they keep milking the T Rex so much in this film as well. They, they they do they do. But 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 the silent, extremely stealthy, big ass dinosaur is 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 also once again it's one element that that the film franchise for some odd reason just keeps bringing her back because basically every every Jurassic Park film has the mysterious stealthy T-Rex the, 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 the fucking the, the first first Jurassic World movie even makes up the main plot point about a T-Rex who who is a once again it's a, it's a tall as a house and still it manages to be completely sneaky yeah at one point, there is no noise from his footsteps, and then there is. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I, I, I can, I can understand the active camouflage, which is with it, with which is supposed to have in in Jurassic World. But how is it so goddamn quiet all the all the time? I would just li- like to make the point, like, what was the thing in the Lost World when there's these two Tyrannosaurus Rexes that come to smash up the the trailer car and it seems that they have a kid of their own but yep what what why are there two dinosaurs like what kind of a relationship is this if they're supposed to reproduce on their own i just kept thinking about this uh, I'm, I'm i'm guessing that that the reproduction is simply go, supposed to go so that the, that w- w- one of the two animals change their sex and and the other stays <laughs> as female and then they just have you know wild dinosaur <laughs> sex uh, that's the best explanation yeah yeah and then they can you, you know they can switch on the fly the roles yeah yeah like, like... <laughs> but when it comes to this gallimimus scene where the t-rex appears once again to start treating himself with the gallimimus meal and look how much blood. This scene, this scene, this is where it's starting to get a little bit repetitive. Like, okay, we get it. We get it that the Spielberg was like, oh my God, this looks so good that we need to in- introduce or we need to have more T-Rex all around the film. Like, let's shoot this scene and this scene and this scene. This is where it's starting to get a little bit. No, yeah, we get it. It's your main attraction here. 
And that really is kind of the notion when it comes to T-Rex. Like, like Spielberg himself realized when he was making the film that the T-Rex is going to be the main uh, attraction. And because of that, he felt that the T-Rex had to be brought back in, in d- during the course of the film. And to his defense, I at the same time, I don't really mind it. I enjoy looking at T-Rex all the time. Yeah, yeah. The T-Rex is, is one of the better, if if not the best dinosaur of the film. Granted, he's, he's kind of is not supposed to be, I, I would say, the main antagonist for, uh, from the dinosaur end in, in Jurassic Park. That was... My take is that that's supposed to go to the Velociraptors. But... Mm. But the, the T-Rex still is is kind of a more grandiose, more magnificent beast than than what the Velociraptors ever were. And despite the fact that the film makes a notion about about the dangerous nature of of the Velociraptors, it kind of repeatedly brings up how incredibly smart the Velociraptors are. And because of that, they are supposed to be kind of the most dangerous animals that the park has. Yeah, this is uh, definitely one of the most magnificent scenes that I've ever seen put on film, really. Like, it is so well built. It is so well built. And... It is, it is. And, and, and this, is, this, is, this is the scene where, where the notion of, of blending animatro- animatronics and CGI really comes to show. Because pa- pa- I would say a huge part of why the scene works so goddamn well, why the effects of the movie have hold up so well, is because as we see here, the the blending of the two of the animatronics and the CGI is done really, really sneakily, and the CGI is used rather sparingly throughout yeah. the scene. Of course, when you look at this film now on. Blu-ray or something, or if you saw it on the cinema screen, you can tell sometimes, you know, it's a little bit more, you know, blurry when you look at the CGI or it doesn't quite match with the uh, the cinematic quality of the animatronics in a sense. But it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful symbiose. Velociraptors in the kitchen, that, that there's nothing that much that doesn't really work here where you go and look at the scene and you say that, oh, that was crap. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I mean, not really. Yeah, so, frankly, e- everything works. Yeah, it, it does. And you, you met the notion of, of the pl- that you, at times you can, you can notice the blurriness of the CGI effects. But also at the times you can really kind of make a note exactly how well they or how ha- hard they were working on hiding the switches. From mm-hmm. animatronics to CGI. Once again, the best best example, in my opinion, in the film is is the nighttime T Rex attack scene, which kind of starts with from from Grant and Malcolm's car, where they are sitting and they are looking forward, and you you see on on the right side of car of the car, you can kind of see the T Rex's head as it's speaking. Mm-hmm. And that that's animatronic, yeah. and you you kind of pick up on that on the fact that that's that's a real effect that that's something that physically exists. Well, that shot is followed by a zoom forward to the next car, the car in front of them, and 
the T-Rex kind of turns and starts to walk towards that car. That is the car where the kids are stationed. But before the switch happens from animatronic to, to CGI, there is a small, there is a like extremely brief, just a few millisecond moment when when the image is locked inside of the cabin of, of, of Grant's and Malcolm's car. And that's the moment when they switch from animatronic to CGI. There is and there is a two things that are, are play, at play there. There's first there is the forward zoom to the next car to the back of the next car and and the kind of kind of a forward motion from the camera, the zoom in, which which give, gives you the the feeling of of movement mm. and and flo- floating forward in in the image, and that is followed by now CGI T Rex slowly walking towards the, the car in front of you. So there is the camera movement, and then there is also the cleverly hidden switch from one effect to the next. And I would say that's that's kind of the reason. That's the main reason I came up with on on the question why why the effects work and still hold up so well. It's very smartly played. It seems that every time they need a full shot of a dinosaur they are using the cgi because that's usually the only way to go when it comes to close-ups they very smartly use animatronics wherever possible yeah and and when when they need kind of of a moving dinosaur when they have to show you that the dino is walking those are are usually the cgi shots yeah complicated acrobatics like the velociraptor jumping on the table of the kitchen something like that yep but but once again, they, they did use animatronics. For example, the T-Rex was a giant ass animatronic. Like it, it was a huge, huge physical effect which they built and used in the film. And it was actually really a pain in the ass also to use yeah. in, in the nighttime attack scene because the the way that the animatronic was had ca- carefully been calculated to work with, with a set mass like a certain mass, and it wor- worked perfectly with that that mass. But but however, the, the scene happens in, in pouring rain, meaning that, that there was also rain pouring on, on top of the animatronic, and w- with that rain pouring down on it, the skin that the animatronic had, the rubber skin, it, it started to soak in the water, and therefore it became heavier and heavier as the as the shoot went on, raising the weight on the animatronic and causing the animatronic to get these weird seizures where it started to malfunction and kind of a, started to have a spactic movement, kind of a, like it, it would have an epileptic seizure. And they, they and every time that would happen, they would have to stop the shoot and just wait for, for the animatronic to dry up before it could operate once again properly. It's quite hilarious material to watch when it's having these seizures and the team is trying to get the water off with some towels from the top of the T-Rex. It is, it is. It's, it's kind of, uh, during those moments, when, when you see the behind-the-scenes footage of them fighting with the animatronic, you can, it's kind of hard to believe that that's actually supposed to be the, the king monster or the king dinosaur of the film. But when you look at that, that animatronic creature every time it brings me like chills just looking at that and i'm 
like the film aside, just looking at the thing on the set with all the crew members, it's uh, it's so big, and the way that they are able to give it so lifelike elements with all of that remote control, it's beautiful, beautiful. It is, it is. Instead of CGI, they were originally supposed to use stop motion animation to, for, for the scenes where the dinosaurs would have been moving. And mm, that, I, that it got... wasn't, wasn't those used only for like previewing purposes, like how the scene would work out? No, they, they ended up using those for the preview scenes. But the, the original plan was to use stop motion in, oh. in the film. It it got re- replaced by by CGI once the CGI theme uh, team was able to to come to Spielberg and showcase to him that that this is we can do this better than the stop motion guys. It's it's it, and, and Spielberg was defending the stop motion animation. Pretty long, actually. Like the CGI team was really put to the test before Spielberg accepted the usage of CGI over stop motion. Thank God they made the change. I I don't know. I would have kind of been interested in in seeing how how it would played out with with stop motion animation. Jerkily. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I mean, stop motion animation itself had also advanced quite a lot, and there was a there was this big lineage of expertise and passed down knowledge in stop-motion circles. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe the, the jerky movement, the, the fact that the movement wasn't 100% fluid was the reason why why Indian Spielberg went on and switched from stop-motion to anime, uh, to CGI animation. Yeah, but, well, if any of if any of, of, of those test materials of Jurassic Park are anything to go by, it was Actually, much f- more fluidy than many like '80s films, but still not fluid enough. Yeah, yeah. But I, I would have been like, I would like to see the version where they would kept the stop motion and to see how how that one would have worked. But hmm. that that's kind of a where when when they first entered the park, the, the scientists. Grant and Malcolm and, and Grant makes the notion that they are now out of work and Malcolm counters that, don't you mean extinct? That's actually, that comes from the lead stop motion animator who actually made the notion. I guess I'm, I've become extinct <laughs> when, when he originally saw the CGI teams work. And when it comes to the audio engineering as well, this is great stuff. They used for T-Rex's voice a mixture of different animals. There's some. Sometimes you hear some crocodiles. There's lion roaring and a baby elephant. And when you start to listen to it, you can pick up these individual voices. But at the same time, it seems what they have done for this these voices, they are quite substantial changes. Like it sounds like something that they have an elephant voice, and then they kind of elongate that voice to go longer. And there's some added effects, maybe some reverberation and different stuff layering going on. And it sounds sounds great. It, it does. On on the notion of, of sound design, also the velociraptors. Uh, yeah. And, and their roar uh, is, is really a state of art. That's a combination of, of male dolphin and, and a walrus, if I'm correct. Yeah, walrus for low frequencies, dolphin for high frequencies. Yep. 
and that's also is is like you you kind of don't pick up on it unless you know it, and it's it's kind of kind of the compound sound effect that they they composed for for the Velociraptors also. It really kind of really meant to sell itself. Like you really do believe that that would be how this how a Velociraptor would sound like. Yeah, they become original enough that it it's not really a dolphin anymore. I think. Yep, they they do. They're, and those are the moments where you actually see exactly how much craft and ingenuity can go into sound design. Yeah. So as a change to the book also, Jeff Goldblum's character was given more heroic quality here. So unlike in the book, he's, he's here playing with the torch as well. And then due to this, he gets his leg twisted. The lawyer, of course, is eaten. Most definitely some kind of a Spielberg's personal issue with lawyers. <laughs> Most definitely, yeah. They kind of the shift that the lawyer gets. It's kind of obvious that, that Spielberg has had a bone to pick with lawyers at some point of his his career. Yeah, even though he denies it. I don't believe it for a second. Even though he de- uh, denies it. But, but the lawyer, goddamn, the, the lawyer character, Gerardo, actually lives through the book. Yeah. And, and in, in here, he becomes, he's a cowardly shit who abandons the kids, which granted, granted, the kids are annoying as fuck, and I too would have uh, abandoned them. But, but from, <laughs> from, from Gerardo's part, that's, that's, an, that's an act of, of fear in, instead of irritation. But after abandoning the kids, Gerardo also gets eaten in, in a toilet. I like the kids all the way up to the point when Lex starts to play with the flashlight. Like why in the... Or is it Tim who is playing, with, just playing can't with it? Stand them. But they are both playing with it and they can't freaking get rid of the light in like 30 seconds. What's going on in this car? Yeah, yeah, that 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 was real goddamn stupid from Lex. Yeah. Uh, altogether, I didn't like the kids. I I thought that Tim was was obnoxious dinosaur fan, but was just about. I read a book. I read a book. I read a book. And Lex was a was a whiny hacker. Like like that. That's what 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 the film makes her out to be. She states that herself. I'm a hacker. And uh, and. and both of them are, are actually dumb ass rocks. Like Lex, Lex fucks it up with with the flashlight and almost get, gets everybody eaten. And Tim can't climb down a fucking tree and a fucking electric fence and can't pass a goddamn shotgun. Like uh, speaking of <sighs> dated lines, it's a Linux system. I know this. Oh yeah. And then holds the mouse like she would have never had mouse in her hand before. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> of of course, it's it's some kind of a graphical three D user interface <laughs> <laughs> oh built by Jurassic Park team. Yeah, yeah, spared no expense. <laughs> but uh, yeah, also when it comes to this vision of T Rex, uh, this has been something that has been challenged, as I understand, by scientists. According to the best data we have, it's looking like T-Rex actually did have a pretty magnificent vision and it would be very 
far-fetched to say that T-Rex would be that he cannot yeah. detect any enemies or or any biteable objects in the vicinity if they don't move. Yeah, we it's also kind of begs the question: How come T-Rex is not just con- con- constantly ramming itself against the walls or walking down a cliff or something like that? Because walls and cliff sides are also stationary objects. <laughs> and that's a that seems like a very good point. Also, I've always kept wondering what is this thing? You know, in the book, it's described that there there is this road, and then there is some kind of a deepening between the road and the gate, and this is where they now drop off with the car. But what what is this place exactly? I could never figure it out in the film because they drop there. And then there's trees. Why is there trees between the road and the gates? Like, what is this place? I can't really can't understand it. Anyway, it's... I, I, I don't know. Visual <laughs> yeah. purpose? I suppose. So they planted trees in between this weird place, <laughs> supposedly. So then there is the car incident. In the book, it goes like this, that the team is all alone in the car and in the tree and gets out of there, no problem. But in the film, he is made out to be this kind of a person who is extremely afraid of to climbing in the trees and needs a lot of assistance from Dr. Grant. Yeah, for some odd reason, Tim really hates trees, even though, though a tree is to thank for the fact that he actually still is alive after falling down like, a, like three miles inside a goddamn wrecked tree. Yeah, that is one of the most unbelievable moments, for sure. Or when it comes to also that the characters of Tim and Lex, these have been kind of switched from the original material. Like, Lex was supposed to be, once again, this girl who is not very computer-savvy at all. Tim is the guy who is the computer-savvy person. But the Tim's interest towards dinosaurs is kept intact in the film. Lex was the younger one and Tim was the older one in the book. Yeah, that, there was some reason why, why Spielberg switched the characteristics around. I think it's nice. I think it's nice to have a girl who is uh, experienced with computers for a change. Kind of, kind of, yeah. Then again, the girl is a hacker. <laughs> Linux hacker. Linux. Then there is this uh, kitchen scene with Hammond and Ellie. This scene. Ah, uh, ha, ha. I found this really weird. I mean, everybody is dying in the park, and then they're just eating some cookies or whatnot in the middle of this table, just waiting for something to happen. They have sent maybe some team to look for the kids, or what was it? Was it even mentioned? I don't know. Anyhow, they are there munching some stuff and kind of having this very meditative talk, very philosophical thoughts. And let me tell you a story, Ellie. When I was a kid, I was running this business. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a weird moment. It's a weird moment. It it's kind of a nice. I I I like the scene. I I like the fact that kind of Hammond is trying to make excuses for himself. He's trying to justify the whole catastrophe that now has happened, and and may make the case that that even though everything went to shit, my intentions were pure. Yeah. There's also this whole incident regarding the gates because they have rebooted the system now. Now Ellie goes to switch back some electrical switches in the basement 
to get systems fully running again. And then there's somebody's hand there eaten by velociraptors. And to this day, I'm not quite sure whose hand it is supposed to be. Because this hunter-gatherer dude, whose name is Muldoon, is still alive at that moment. Yeah. And maybe more importantly, what the hell happens to the rest of the crew of Jurassic Park? We know that there's uh, like a bunch of workers there that are not having any kind of major roles. But then we have also Arnold. And doesn't it go like this? That Arnold just completely disappears from the film at some point. Uh, and it wasn't the black hand in the basement, so it's not him either. So it just well, disappears. That's, that's supposed to be Arnold, actually. Yeah. Like the severed hand is is supposed to be Arnold. But what about this skin pigment and all of that? <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe Arnold. Had had it enough with with this motherfucking skin pigment in this motherfucking dinosaur movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's 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 not spot on. Actually, the skin pigment on on the severed hand, but but the hand still is supposed to be Arnold. Arnold is supposed to go to switch on the breakers and turn on the electricity on on the facility and somehow off screen get become a dinosaur chow. And but, white. but the third the third act altogether is is kind of kind of the weirdest one of the film. Like bunch bunch of bunch of different shit just happens during the third act. Arnold's skin pigment changes and and he gets eaten and also everybody's fucking leg starts to somehow gimp out. Like <laughs> Sattler's right leg Apparently has read the script and knows that that this is the moment we when you just unexplainably has ha, have to stop functioning like a proper proper leg and and create create some kind of a mystery limb and and the fucking Tim also in in the kitchen sequence when he's running away from the Velociraptor Tim has also the same weird gimbal leg going on. My favorite problem leg is Ellie's when she's trying to run to the basement. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like nobody's leg, leg. Just everybody's leg refuses to work properly on on the third act. And, the... and for some some odd reason, it, it appears that it's it's with everybody. It's it's the right leg. Everybody's right leg just can't function properly on on the final stretch of the film. <laughs> Malcolm's leg is functioning that badly in the book that he's actually supposedly dead, spoilers, at the end of the book, but then he mysteriously reappears in the Lost World book, so... Yeah, yeah. Presumed dead in the original, but revealed to have survived in, in the second book. Ta-da! Then there is the electric gate, uh, when they are switching the electricity back on, of course. For dramatic purposes, Tim, who is still hanging on this voltage gate... He's counting down to do his jump and then he manages to do three and then the electricity is pushed back on and he flies like he's on a wire pulled back. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Survives. The team t- t- who, who had managed to climb down the electric fence up until this part and now he mysteriously freezes down. Yeah. Poor Tim, poor Tim. 
those experiences in the car with the T-Rex and now the fence. Jeez. Yeah, at, at some point you would simply think that Tim would get it through his thick fucking skull that during those moments when you are you are in a high place, you better just haul ass and climb down fast. Even more mysterious is these two kids after having these extremely life-changing and horrifying experiences with the, for example, T-Rex. And then it's like five, ten minutes later, they're hanging in the tree and they're looking at one of these herbivores. And they seem to be very, still very enthusiastic and laughing and kind of enjoying the moment. Like, oh, let's just think of it as a, like a big cow. Oh, how cute. At this moment, how I would behave as a kid, would be like, Jesus Christ, I am so done with this. Uh, can, we, can we just get the hell out of this island as soon as possible? Or I don't want to see any dinosaurs ever in my life. Yeah, but that's simply because you can't appreciate the, the beauty, beauty and majesty of nature. <laughs> would that actually follow nature if I had been like mauled to death almost by T-Rex and then T-Rex reappears eating some other dinos? Would the yeah, natural come, 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 this is the gist. Would your natural reaction be like, look how much blood? Nah. And well, raising you, you, your you, head above this. Yeah. If, if I would be retarded, brain dead, walking brain damage like Tim, most likely, yeah. Shots fired. Not so that I would actually have anything against the brat, but I, 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 I watch Jurassic Park every now and then, and every single time I keep keep on hoping that the goddamn kids would just bite it. Oof. Ooh, ah. That's how it always starts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm guessing I'm, I'm proper fa- father material. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> totally. Go for it. Now, after this uh, impressive father quality speech. Yeah, yeah. If if I ever manage to find find me a lady who has the proper genetic material on her, <laughs> yeah. So then they get back to the main hall, the entrance to the park, this entrance building, whatever it is called. Yeah, yeah, the main hall. I I guess where we have a teleporting T Rex. Once a fucking game. Seriously, the dude dude is is quiet as a night. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, as impressive job as Michael Myers. So, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe Jurassic Park T-Rex and Michael Myers should team up. <sighs> we, we, we would have T-Rex riding Michael Myers. I just had a flash of an idea of a new great quality sequel for the Halloween franchise where Michael Myers' DNA would actually be something of a combination of a Tyrannosaurus or frogs or that would be kind of the mysterious parts of the DNA would be the explanation for his superpowers. Okay, sidetracking there. Tangent. But so the velociraptors are trying to attack our heroes, but now the uh, the hero of the night is actually T-Rex who saves the day and starts uh, munching on the velociraptors. And, uh, well, fight ensues between these two two animals. I, I, I have to hand it to that one lone t- uh, velociraptor who... After seeing his friend getting chowed down by T-Rex, still has the bright idea to actually try to tackle down a goddamn T-Rex on his own. 
Like I, mm. I, I don't know if the Velociraptor was being heroic or, or just suicidal on that moment. Well, they hunt in packs. Problem was that there was nothing left of the pack. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, isn't, isn't there supposed to be like a third Velociraptor? Oh, was there? Okay. The, the, it's, it's mentioned. It's mentioned a couple of times in the film that the park has three Velociraptors. You never see the third one. If I remember correctly, there is an off-handed comment made that it has been locked behind a door. Yeah, I, I guess it, it. I guess it's supposed to be Peter Velociraptor that that attacks Arnold and eats yeah. him up, and then would get locked down in the into the breaker room by Ellie. Maybe. I, I, I guess that's supposed to be the third one. You can't unfortunately see the difference in these Velociraptors, whereas you can see it in uh, at least Jurassic World, where they started to get these updated versions of yeah, Velociraptors' yeah. colors. Yeah, yeah, where where they start to somehow personalize the the stupid lizards and and they they pinpoint the one Velociraptor blue, who is actually blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and who becomes some some kind of a I don't know, Dinosaur Robin of of the franchise. Like, like the weird asshole who always in the nick of time in the final fight just appears to help the, his human compatriots. Mm. For, for some odd, odd fucking reason, which I never mm. understood completely. But I, I, guess, it, I guess it's it's nurture versus nature. This this one shot where this cowboy asshole is riding his motorbike and the velociraptors <laughs> are on the different sides of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That it's... that shot got got picked up in in the official posters of the film. Oh, so it was as well. What a cringe yeah. fest. Ah. Okay, where were we? So well, get... we are in the closing shots. They are escaping the park. Yeah. And Grant finally realizes that he really likes kids because they have been completely fucking useless throughout the film. As I understand it originally in this film, there was supposed to be a shot of a flying pteranodon outside of the helicopter window, but they in, in the last moments they changed it to a regular bird species to leave that out. And I think that makes more sense than Sam Neill smiling, looking at the window and seeing this flying prehistoric specimen flying out outside of the confines of the island. In one way, it would have made sense, like, okay, <laughs> life found, find, found a way. It fits with that theme, but the smile, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's a good yeah. good change. Yeah, again, the, the book... Uh, Overall, it, it makes makes more notions of the dinosaurs being able to escape the island and, and to reach the main island. So it does. So there is supposed to be a kind of a drug, one certain type of a chemical that all of the dinosaurs are supposed to need. And if they don't get that pill in time every 12 hours, then they will die and in effect will die if they leave the island. But... They don't. Yeah. And and why that is, that is kind of ham-fistedly half explained in The Lost World, but it kind of is happening when the dinosaurs are walking amongst 
the group that enters the island and it's kind of forgotten about it's kind of treated in a way that oh the, the viewer also doesn't give a crap so let's just move on type of thing yeah in 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 the original that the whole lie scene is is offhandedly once mentioned by arnold and never been been brought up again in in the book if i remember correctly the the answer to the lysine question was was the fact that the dancers were actually able to find lysine on their own in in the food as long as they would actually eat soy and and chicken and that that's the one one thing that that the dinos kind of used to counteract the the kind of kind of the, the genetic kill switch which they have been granted and how they managed to survive outside of the island. Yeah, lysine. Yeah. In addition, in the book, it doesn't end with the helicopter. There is one very, very short chapter also, which happens in San Jose, where they have taken the people that were on board the helicopter to safety, and uh, they meet again with the Dr. Gutierrez, which is in the beginning of the book, as the doctor who basically finds out about the the whole dino infestation that is happening already outside of Isla Sorna. And there is some exchange with with Dr. Grant. But hey, read the book if you want to know more. Yeah, that the book actually is entirely bad here. And no. I, I would I would say even even the sequel book is isn't that bad. I would even go as far as and make make the case that the sequel may be even better as a book than it is as a film. If the film is lost world, the movie is kind of a, so much of a retread of, of Jurassic Park, where, whereas lost world, the book is is more kind of a. It, it, first of all, it it takes it takes a closer look at, at the the whole scientist aspect and it plays much more attention to to science and scientists and scientists being eager to to get back on on the site b to have a new chance to study the dinosaurs and even even the the base basically the money loving corporates in the book they are essentially just three guys who are trying to steal some eggs from the from the island whereas whereas in the film it's it's the whole whole rogue uh, paramilitary what were they they supposed to be poachers basically cowboys be- from the engine yeah yeah engine cowboys or like like it's it's a huge goddamn an operation that Injun has going on in the film. Yeah, yeah, that's... But also, The Lost World, it was released in September 95, so it's after the first film, and between the two fi- first films, so could this be kind of a return to Jurassic Park's world because of the success of the film? Most likely. Yeah, it is, it is, it is... Uh... When it comes to the the second book, it's kind of a it, it's a curious mess because the the way how how the story goes behind behind the scenes when it comes to the books is that Creton was w- working on on the first Jurassic Park book when he first met Spielberg, who managed to kind of wheeze out the story from Creton before the book was finished. So and and starts to plan out the film. Gryden finishes the book, 
Spielberg finishes the film, which is they takes like mentioned takes a lot of liberties from Crichton's original novel. Mm-hmm. After 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 the success of of the film. Spielberg approaches to Crichton and asks Crichton to make another book so that Spielberg himself could have more material for a sequel. Crichton decides to pick up on the offer because the movie was such a high success. But the problem comes that Crichton is now writing a, a sequel to his original book, which also at the same time is largely being influenced by Spielberg's First Jurassic Park film, which took a lot of liberties from the original novel, so it's it's kind of a, a, it's it's kind of a mixed. It's it's kind of a proto sequel. Kind of a, it's fifty percent sequel to the the Guardians book, and it's fifty percent sequel to to Spielberg's film, and it's 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 a really curious piece to actually approach. Lost word, the book. Yeah. Okay. Have to get around reading it as well. So you read both of these books at some point. That's great. I yeah. I I check out both of them when they originally came out. Wow. In in, in Finland, I, back in the day, the hype was so strong around Jurassic Park that you just kind of had to read them also in, and had to check out the the books. I myself, I was really impressed with the like the energy level of this book. It's really hard to put down. In fact, I noticed I was reading already hundred pages in a matter of I don't know hour or something. But in the middle part, it's starting to get a little bit of the techno babbly. It's just talking about the background of the creation of the dinosaurs, and there is this ice cream moment with Doctor Wu and Hammond, and I think that was kind of hilarious. They could have kept it in the film. Um, but overall, yeah, very much recommended. Super interesting. Yeah. Also, something that is is interesting is that well, the the Jurassic Park and uh, as a, as a story kind of a, has a lot of ties thematic wise to Crichton's earlier novel Westworld. Which also has the running theme of of high tech theme um, amusement theme park where mechanical malfunction happens and that kind of leads into the theme park itself turning against its visitors. In in Westworld, it's it, it's it's a it's a wild west theme park with with robotic cowboys and one of the cowboys either it, it's. It, it's not entirely clear, ex- especially in, in the film, which is the case. Does the cowboy AI kind of a crea- become conscious, or is is it simply an error coding that 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 kind of a breaks free? But the cowboy turns murderously hostile and starts killing the park visitors, and that's kind of the same case as that you get with with Jurassic Park. That there is a high high concept science this time this time cloning which has created attractions this time dinosaurs there there is a mechanical malfunction in the system which leads into the dinosaurs starting to kill off the visitors of the park. Okay, sounds very techno thrillery. Yeah, yeah, Crichton is is pretty good in in churning out these. Kind of, kind of a fast-paced 
somewhat technological and somewhat scientific quotation mark. Uh, kind of a thriller novelist. Yeah, I can definitely tell that the guy is doing a lot of research. It's like oozing from the pages that there's a lot of fancy language and dude knows what he's doing. At least he does a lot of research, yeah. At, at, at least he's not completely lazy. Yeah. Like, like you, 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 you can have your opinion about Crichton's book. Books, you can have your opinions about exactly how accurate Crichton's science is. As far as I've understood, Crichton himself is is not a, a scientist. He he has studied in Harvard, but that's as far as I know. That's that's as far as as you know he's he's trek into the field of science goes. He's he's not a professional scientist. And because of that, you know, the science can be kind of all over the place. But at least the dude tries to put up the work to do do at least some background work for his books. Yeah, I just started to think about it. Like, uh, he was enrolled to Harvard Medical School. And he had done something related to ER. But, yeah, it's not my field of expertise in any way. Yeah. All right. So yeah, please please read it and definitely the background that he has done kind of makes it seem like it's it's a very uh that it's that it's uh, having so much of this background work here done that you can buy what he's writing about. So. Yeah, and I I liked a lot about the themes of of, of the story and I did yeah. enjoy a lot of well I, <sighs> The film has a couple of scenes, the book has even more, where Malcolm criticizes Hammond, and the scientists all together, together criticize Hammond, and question, is it actually that scene or from Hammond to, to create a theme park that has living goddamn dinosaurs in it? Especially yeah. when, when some of those dinosaurs are omnivores. Yeah, the book also talks way more about the whole chaos theory and everything around it, which kind of ties us the theme of the whole park and why it starts to go the way it does. It's also in the film, but it's not so much in your face in the film. Yeah, but I, I, I don't mind. I did enjoy those those discussions, and I did enjoy the the theme of of it, and and it's not exactly new. Like the question has been asked countless of times, but but essentially man uh, as a god and and the creation just as an act of will, something that you just can kind of, kind of a choose to do. You can just choose to to create create life, and you can just force that creation upon someone. And there, there, is, there is also the kind of a the, that the film does kind of paint the comparison between between man and God and and the two creations that they both have done in 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 man's part that is the park the dinosaurs and from God's end that would be the the man and the the whole asking was kind of a was God kind of a what was God under an illusion when he created man and thought that he could somehow con- be able to control man 
man and and has the tables kind of a turn in in a way that man has in a sense killed off god and is man now being the the new god man now being killed off by his own creation which would be the dinosaurs yeah also found it in, interesting this this reference to which i suppose is factual that in the 1900s when they found some species that appeared to be extinct they started to make up excuses that that this 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 can't be extinct that they made some replacement story for it because of course god would not kill its creations so they just made up some story that it's actually some different sized version of something living right now and all that jazz yeah and 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 some create creationists have made the weird notion that they're actually if i remember correctly the argument goes that in noah's ark there are actually were also were some dinosaurs <laughs> in in the actual ark so eight ton dinosaurs like t-rex yep wow. yep two two of a two of each of course of course unless they had frog dna <laughs> no 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 that that no that that would be way too scientific and way too technical for for creationists yeah the bible the famous techno thriller <laughs> very detailed and deep scientific discussions there why why can't i get my dna discussions ever in the bible it's so monotonous sometimes okay favorite performance Oh, I guess that has to go. Um, uh, mm, the actor, um, uh, mm, Sam Neill, <laughs> Doctor Grant. Even though, even though I I do like film a lot in in the film, but I I don't know for some reason Sam Neill has always stuck my heartstrings. Yeah, I have a I have a soft spot for for the dude, the guy who once screen tested for James Bond. <laughs> And was not big. Yeah, that's for, probably for the best. Yeah, Sam Neill perhaps never was, would, would have worked that well as Bond. I didn't see it at all, honestly. Um, Jeff Goldblum for me. Um, because of the, the, yeah, 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 he has quite magnetic screen presence here. I, I like the way that he's, he's kind of there, but at the same time, he's kind of not. Because it appears that at the same time, when he's there, he doesn't really care. This kind of indifference for everything. And that makes him the great ability to crack jokes in every situation. It seems that he doesn't really uh, mind so much any of the situations that he's thrown in. Or not not that, but uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of hard to do a psychoanalysis here right now at this hour. But uh, favorite scene. That would be the nighttime T-Rex attack. Yeah, of course it would be. That's the first thing that I also think when I'm thinking about Jurassic Park. That's the highlight scene of the film. It yeah, it, it is. It is like that in in I I would say to everyone who has seen the film, that is the scene that truly sells you the movie. Yep. Yep. Of course, the sequels up the ante then, and there is more Tyrannosaurus and more of everything. But it, it doesn't have the same effect. It just, it just doesn't have. Sometimes less is more. It, it doesn't have the same build-up. Yeah. Favorite quote? Um, 
Well, this this harkens back to the the whole God creation theme, but it's it's a combination from Ian Malcolm and Ellie Sattler. God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if I ever really got that, but I always laughed. Well, it, it essentially it, it is basically the movie in a nutshell. Because well, yeah. the, 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 the ones who, in the end, in, inherit the earth, inherit the island, are the dinosaurs who originally were female and kind of found the way to cheat out their creator, the man. The, this is a pretty good find nettery, check the vending machines. But uh, <laughs> I didn't give this uh, much thought beforehand. But the, the, the hostility that poor Nedry has to suffer from Hammond is kind of off the fucking charts. <laughs> well, I, I always chuckle at this point. This kind of humor I really love in this film. Hammond, after careful consideration, I've decided not to endorse your park. So have I. Favorite kill? Ah, that would be moved on. The the wild, wildlife expert they have being chowned down by the raptor. Mm. I think for me it's the lawyer, slimy lawyer. You too have something against lawyers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I sort of have sometimes very anarchist tendencies. First shot that comes to mind: the ox behind the gate with his, you know, little whatever thingy wingy trying to get rid of the gate. Uh. To me, it's the it, it it's actually the closing T-Rex shot, the final shot we get T-Rex when he's in the main hall, and actually that whole banner is is coming down. It's great. Yeah. What took you out of this film? Mm, I I have I I have three things that took me out. Nothing took me out completely, but but like if if I would have to pinpoint something, this would be mine. First of all, there are the kids, which I didn't care for. Then there is the lawyer, who I, I think got shot upon maybe a bit too much. And the final, finally, it's the final, and the third one is the comedically fat nettery. Okay. <clears throat> I always felt that the third part of the film was always like, clearly the weakest part of the film. When there is this this stuff in the basement and then the Hammond and Ellie sitting and drinking tea or whatever and having their cookies, I mean, it has some great qualities in this scene, but every time I watch this film, it's around this Hammond-Ellie sweet moment when I start to kind of maybe a little bit wiggle off back to the refrigerator or something. And it's not as tight as the rest of the film. That's just the way I feel. Yeah. What pulled you in? Um, the scale, really. Like, like the pure unedited scale that this film has. Well, yeah, looks like you're in a Spielberg roller coaster once again. What pulled me in? Well, phew. dinosaurs, T-Rex, Velociraptor. And gotta give it to them that the characters are... Extremely enjoyable here, not not just the dinos. The characters are very good, 
uh, starting to get a little bit slippery slopey in the last world. Yeah, in in the last world, basically pretty much the only one who can still hold up the torch and work through that film is is Cold Broom. Yeah. I wonder what happened there. Were they supposed to get some Neil also on board? But then he was like, oh, I, don't know, I don't know. And maybe I want like a double the pay or something. Maybe. Who who knows what happened with those? Yeah. I, 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 I would believe that that is a question which is even today to mystery even to Steven Spielberg himself. Every now and then he checks out Lost, Lost World and he's, he's thinking to himself like, what the hell? What, what what was I doing? <laughs> well, it, if it weren't for the quite inventive trailer car stuff, how it kind of ups the ante, the tension all the time in that scene, or how he builds tension to until the end of the film when T Rex enters the enters the the city, if there would not be kind of this obvious Spielbergian moments, I would say that this is not a Spielberg film. It's one of his weaker ones, I would say. It, it most definitely is. There, there is some really great moment, but there's so, also some of the really bafflingly, terribly bad Spielberg moments in it, like, for example, the fucking gymnastic scene. Oh, yeah, that kicking Velociraptor out of the house. Is yeah, like that, that, that was bad. That, that's, that's, even, even today, that's downright cringe material. That is, that is. We should do like a, Grinch material, the episode. <laughs> what would you cut from the film? What would you change? Uh, maybe I would touch upon uh, upon you know my my three picks that took me out a little. That the kids, the nursery, and the lawyer. But I, I I don't know how I I would kind of try to me- mess with them because it's e- even though they did bother me a bit. When when looking up uh, when watching the film, it 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 didn't still raise raising me this this outright hate and and this need, blind need to just you know get them removed from the film. I can still very much enjoy the film even with them in it. I just think that the, those three are kind of the the weaker aspects, the weaker elements of of the movie. You would not make a successful Jew. <laughs> For me, I always felt that the basement scene when Ellie is trying to switch on the the, the confinement's defenses once again, that scene is a little bit over long and we have had these change scenes up to that point already so many times that I think it could be a little shorter, it could be a little faster moving in that part. Otherwise, yeah, I've been whining about this third half of the film or third part of the film, whatever you want to call it. Something could be, some changes could be made there. But you know, you really know, you're watching Jurassic Park. When? When the nature finds a way, most likely in the bedroom. <laughs> you really know you're watching the Jurassic Park when you hear John Williams playing and you hear the T-Rex doing his trademark noise, which even I can't emulate, even though I'm so a world-class material uh, voice artist. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. You, from from the two of us, you are supposed to be the one who doesn't sound like a screaming bird. <laughs> 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 oh my God, you still remember these things? <laughs> I, 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 will, 
Uh, someday I, w- I will actually tattoo that into my palm. <laughs> oh boy. Well, the sexy radio voice is now asking the three adjectives to describe the film. Mine would be groundbreaking, because it, it most definitely was. It's breathtaking, because it even today still manages to be, and most definitely exciting. Yeah, mine would be prehistoric, Spielbergian, and very much a Hollywood movie. Hollywoodian, I guess. There has been some criticism about the title of the film Jurassic Park, uh, because... Of course, the dinosaurs existed during the Mesozoic era, which consists of Triassic, Jurassic and Cretaceous periods. But Jurassic, of course, sounded the best. Just like the Velociraptors sounded the best. Even though, as I understand it, the designs for the Velociraptors were of another dinosaur, but they wanted to name it Velociraptor because it sounds cool. Well... Um, you you have to hand it to them. Velociraptor most definitely does sound cool. That it does. Did you look at your watch during the film? No, I I still actually haven't looked at my watch when when watching Jurassic Park. Yeah, no. You you would think that at some point you would just kind of get tired of the film and you would start checking out your watch after repeated viewings. Especially with, with the goddamn kids in it, but I, I don't know. So, something of something in the film just still, even today, holds your attention and makes sure you are paying attention to the film. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the characters that make it acceptable also that the T-Rex is being reappearing in the end of the film over and over and over. If there were some kind of a, I don't know, the Jurassic World level of characters, or kind of supporting characters that you would be watching, and then T-Rex would do its attack for attack for the fifth time. You know, it would not work. So I forgive it. But what's the next question? Would it be Henrik? Would you recommend Jurassic Park? I most definitely would. From the bottom of, bottom of my heart, it still holds up. It's still extremely enjoyable. And it's a movie where you can every now and then find, even today, new things. This is one for the ages. Something that you really had not seen before. And holds up fantastically well today. Also, it is the best Jurassic Park movie by far. Most definitely recommended. It's everyone's responsibility to watch this film. And I was quite surprised that I see this 8.1 out of 10 in IMDb. I believe I have seen it with a way lower score, but I can't see any historic score. Maybe you can find it somewhere, but... I have a theory, Henrik, that when the Blu-ray discs started to appear, also the median of ratings in IMDb rised considerably. I think the experience has changed for some people in that way, that now it's even more of a ooh-ah experience when you can see it in widescreen and see all the all the fancy pixels. It's my theory. I may be wrong, but I'm willing to stick by it. That's about it from this week. Yeah. Of course, naturally, you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow what we're up to. I think there's going to be a great lineage of films once again this year. 
we have already something very juicy waiting for you for next week. So I'm glad to be moving forward. Okay, but see you next week. Until then. Holy fucking shit, it's a dinosaur, Jesus fucking Christ. My wife fucking God, look at dinosaur, Jesus fucking Christ. Holy fucking shit, it's a dinosaur, Jesus fucking Christ. My wife fucking God, look at dinosaur.